What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, March 20th, 2022, and this week's episode, London's Epic Night, One's Ambitious Evening. We'll be talking about the fight that took place across the pond, Alexander Volkov taking on Tom Aspinall, and all of the exciting finishes that took place. We'll talk about the latest in MMA news. The strawweight title is set to be defended this May. One particular UFC welterweight went full superhero. And of course, the return to Fight Island this fall. We'll cap it off by talking about the coming weekend of mixed martial arts action. UFC Columbus and the heavyweight fight between Curtis Blades and Chris Dacus. And all the way in Singapore, one X from one championship featuring more fights than you could wave a stick at. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez and I'm here with my co-host Natalie Zamudio. Hello Double G. Uh, yeah, did we have a crazy amount of really awesome fights yesterday? We sure did. Also, side note, I'm going to Disneyland tomorrow, so I'm doubly excited. Good fights. <laughs> Disneyland's coming up. <laughs> Today, Sunday, is just smack dab in the middle of two really awesome days. So uh, hit me, man. What would you think of London? You know, first off, are, are you like a like to just chill and watch at Disneyland, or do you like have to hit as many rides as possible within your ah. time frame? That's my question. So I was never a... I always loved Disneyland, you know, pre my son, you try to squeeze in a lot, but not to go crazy to the point of, you know, you're stuck in a line the whole day and you're not enjoying yourself. So you, you know, you push, you push yourself, but you're not madcap running around like a crazy person. Yep. With my boy, you just take your time. (laughs) You just take your time (laughs) and whatever you get in, you get in. That's all. See, I have a few things I need to hit. I want to get as many rides, but then at midday I need to eat. That way I have gas to actually make it through the second half of the day and I'm not just passed out in a line from trying to be all I can be. And then I got to get a churro. Doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter if the place has a reputation for him. That's like my one pass. I don't get churros anywhere else except when I go to a theme park and I don't do it often. So I make it my thing. After that, it's all, you know, well and good. Wave hi to the mouse and keep rolling. You know what I mean? Yeah, these days they really do just wave at you. You're not allowed to like... Yeah, the social distance. Stand next to them. (laughs) They just walk by. (laughs) It's a sad day. But anyway, before we lose lose too many people, let's talk about London, yeah? Yes, sir. (laughs) I mean, um, I believe nine finishes in 12 fights. Uh, Before we talk about uh, Tom Aspinall's big win... I know this is a very on-the-spot question, but when you think about best fight nights ever, and certainly I guess you could start crossing into best events ever, how do you feel that UFC London stacks up? It it was one of the best. So what are we in? Uh, what month is this? March? Yeah. It was one of the best of the year so far for sure. Uh, because of a, a couple of reasons, you know, you're in London and the hometown crowd for all the fighters that are from either England or nearby, you know, United Kingdom. That's such a pop you're getting there. And everybody delivered. Like, people came out to put on a show, right? Were you not entertained? Heck, yes, we were. Uh, it, it's been one of the best. Just when you think about it, not even, you know, if you put all the cards, pay-per-view, non-pay-per-view, like, this has been one of the best. Yeah, I'd say action. Here to clarify, yeah. Yeah, I'd say um, action-wise, if you tell me like, if you were to show a no a new person who doesn't you know follow this like the way we do, and you just toss this in with a bunch of the best events, I I could see somebody telling me that this card was a lot more exciting than many of them, pay-per-view and otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that for a hardcore fan, the fact that it had that level of excitement, I think the only time that you top a night like last night was when you have those really significant fights. Like, I think about... um, for example, last uh, around this time last year, Jacksonville, when Usman got Masvidal and, you know, it just seemed like everyone was was popping. Or the Madison Square Garden card last year, you know, like still, I mean, it slowed down a bit for the title fights, but 
those prelims they were just like last night everyone was hot everyone was you know bodies were dropping you know what i mean oh yeah um so i think the fact that this kind of carried through about the only thing was that there weren't as you know no one got a title shot out of last night no one won a championship last night but i think that to you know when you talk about most exciting nights it's got to be up there um capped off tom aspinall got the I'll say the honor of after a night like that one to be the one to walk, well, almost last. Obviously, Volkov was the red corner as the more experienced and higher ranked guy. But uh, Volkov, I think he just, um, he was still revving up. I think that he was struggling with the physicality and truth be told, the speed and shot selection of Tom. That reminded me a lot of when Cyril Gahn got going against Volkov. Just he just seemed to know when to read, when Volkov wasn't gonna counter, when he wasn't gonna use that reach and get those punches out. He just seemed to be. It was like he could see into the future. He knew when to get in there. He knew when to get out. Um, he took that one direct hit. It looked like he just literally spaced out, out of position. You know, he gets dropped on his butt briefly. They both, you know, acknowledge it, but. Yeah, the fact that uh, Aspinall was able to just get him down and get him out of there, uh, very impressive. And I like the fact that he had to do some work on the feet and then do the work on the ground, which is what I think a lot of people expected was that, you know, he can go five rounds probably with Volkov striking. But if you want to talk about efficiency, get him to the mat, get the finish. What did you think? Yeah, Volkov looked look good. Uh, to me, physically, he looked like the best shape I can recall seeing him in, you know, just not that I'm like studying the man's physique, but even just around the waistline, he looked a little more uh, cut, more muscular definition. Okay. And uh, all things did... considered, right? Going into this one. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but, but Tom Aspinall, man, he came out to do his business. Like he's in London. This is an important fight. You know, he wasn't messing around. There wasn't anything that was going to stop him. And he looked really good, fast, powerful strikes. And then the takedown, I mean, he was trying to do like a Kimura, I think, at some point, and then ended up with the, um, what was it, a straight arm lock? Was that correct? Yeah. And and it's like, you know, you see a lot of submissions, Rio Kachoa, Triangle. Sometimes you see a Kimura. I feel like the, that arm lock isn't hasn't been so common lately in the UFC anyway. So... You know, it was interesting to seeing him sort of get the get the instruction from his corner. He's like looking up and <laughs> he's processing. Oh, okay, okay, and he gets it done. Very impressive, huge win for him. I mean, what more, what more can you say? Like, way to cap off the night. All your countrymen are winning in a ridiculously highlight worthy fashion. It's like, you know, you either rise to the occasion of that pressure as it builds up. You know, you're in your locker room and you're seeing another win for my country, another win, another win. It could have gone the other way, you know, but but he let it, you know, fire him up, fill him with confidence and all that good stuff. And he made a great, great impression. Like, can you imagine? I hope there was like a group photo of all the, the British <laughs> folks at the end. Just what a night for them, man. It was incredible. Oh my god, yeah, I feel like that's uh, the way it was going. It's like, yeah, that was the not just the night of a career, night of your life kind of deal. Yeah. The way it was going. Um, I haven't seen said photo, if there is one, but I think it'd be a great travesty if there isn't. I um, somebody got it. <laughs> yeah, I will say, if it reminded me of Madison Square Garden, where just like after Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler, it was like the heat almost couldn't, they almost couldn't stay hot. I think yeah. that... There was a pretty, and I know, look, they they did their best, but almost felt like, especially after Patty fought, and we'll get to that, certainly. I'm not going to lie. I felt like some of the voices, even though they're used to this, they were starting to run out of juice by the time Tom got out there. Not that they didn't make him feel the love, but it was <laughs> like, dude, you know, like, we've been going crazy for everybody. Molly, and, uh, you know, it, it was a, it was a tough one to stay hot, which is, just goes to show how great it was, right? Yeah. But yeah, yeah th I was getting a little bit of that impression. Um, for Tom, I mean, really, it's kind of like world is your oyster. I think he had a great call out of Tai Tuivasa. I think that that's a very feasible fight. 
before this one, I would have told you uh, Derek Lewis. I know Derek is, you know, coming off that L, but really, I mean, when you talk about his status and his reputation and where they put him on cards, I feel like that's great also. Um, to me, the one thing about Ty, because I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, certainly the rumors about him versus Stipe Miocic in July, and I'm like, I'm sorry, but what? Because if you're putting Stipe and Ty together, that means that somehow John Jones has been forced out of this equation. Which, truth be told, if Francis... If, ah, I'm stuttering, but Francis Ngannou, if he's out nine months from this week, right? Mm-hmm. To now, you know, exactly what are we planning? I mean, respectfully, this is the perfect time to have an interim title. And the fact that, you ask me, that sets up the best fight you could possibly ask for. It is a interim Stipe and John. Imagine John Jones beating a guy like Stipe going into a fight with Francis uh, for Stipe. I mean, obviously that reignites your career to potentially get that belt back from Francis. Uh, I mean, it's just... I don't know. I I feel like that would be a missed opportunity. My point of that, how it relates to Tom Aspinall, is until that's done, I don't I don't know if guys like Stipe or Ty are on the table for him because I would think both of those guys are certainly waiting to see whether or not a deal will be made for a John Jones fight coming up this summer, maybe uh, early fall. What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, if the rumor is Stipe Tai, which, of course, is an exciting fight and would probably be for an interim title, that just tells me that either the UFC isn't... Okay, it could be a couple of things because, you know, they like to maybe play a little bit of gamesmanship. So maybe they're trying to put some pressure on John Jones to come to terms with him for the heavyweight division. Or maybe they're just trying to tell him, like, well, we're not waiting around for you. And so this is what we're looking at if you don't come uh, to our table. Uh, You know, look, now we've got Ty in the mix, right? And so Ty, Stipe, John Jones, those are all good answers for an interim title matchup. And if if Tom Aspinall, I mean, looking at the rankings now, it hasn't been updated, obviously, but he went into this fight last night or yesterday, you know, for us yesterday afternoon, ranked 11th. He's going to have to move up. You know, what, do you think he'll just take Volkov's spot? Volkov is at six. I feel like that sounds about right. That to seems be honest, good. that's MMA math, right? That's yeah. Math. Also, because Tom was on a win streak. Yeah. So if he's up there, they're like, if we're just looking at the rankings, then he's part of the conversation. Derek Lewis has a loss. Cyril Gone just lost. I mean, you could do a Tom Aspinall. I don't know, man. It, it, it doesn't make sense. Tai Chivasa yeah. is a great call out, by the way. Um, but yeah, if if Ty's being considered for something bigger with Stipe, my, my point ultimately is with Tom Aspinall now part of this, you know, top rank conversation, it's just good heavyweight business right now. Like Francis Ngannou had his surgery and he's still feared and beloved. He can rest. There's plenty of other guys to do good work and, until he's ready to come back in and defend there's got to be an interim belt, so defend whoever has it by then. I mean, uh, listening to you talk about it, I mean, and for one, Tom, I think if he doesn't get, you know, final answer, if he doesn't get Ty, I think he'll get either Cyril or possibly the winner of Curtis Blades and Chris Dawkins mm-hmm. coming up this Saturday. But, um, I mean, when you talk about that top five or six, you know, Ngannou, Stipe, Cyril, Curtis Blades... Oh, now we're talking about Ty and Tom. I'm sorry, that is, this is like the healthiest the heavyweight division has had with a lot of uh, parody, you know? Like, it's not like it's two or three guys running the table. No, No. like, uh, this is all interchangeable pieces right now, in my opinion. Derek, I mean, how did I not mention Derek Lewis? Yeah. I mean, it's like, dude, this is such a great time up there that, um... Yeah, for the record, Tom, probably Lewis or the Blades, Dawkins winner. But, you know, you look at any way you skin it, like you said, John, uh, Stipe and Ty in, you know, some red round robin for the interim title in negotiation. But 
yeah, it's just a good time right about now for them. So I'm looking forward to it. I think obviously, uh, guys, we need to get a deal done and let's make some announcements. The time has changed. The leaves are growing. It's about time for some summer announcements. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, another interim title. We just came off of, you know. I'm cool one. with an interim title right now, though. Well, not only cool, like, that's what we, that's what the division needs. Like, this is another example of when it's perfectly appropriate to have an interim title fight. You need it. You're champions uh, in the, on, the, on the men, so let's go. Yes, exactly. No, we really need it. Um, we got to get to a lot. I mean, like I said, nine finishes. We're not going to like go in depth on all of them, but um, Arnold Allen now on a nine fight win streak. Uh, stop it. By the way, brutal stoppage of Dan Hooker. And I'm not going to lie. At first, I was like, well, he's at featherweight. He's not as durable. You know, he might, uh, you know, he's obviously dropping down again after being up there a few years. Um, oh my gosh. Just Arnold Allen put it on him. Just that it felt like it was one of those fights he's just watching him dan hooker stands his ground but just so many shots were piercing the guard going around the guard dan starts to get bloodied up and you could tell dan is like all right you know let's throw down and after he's eaten like so many he just kind of you know gets into that defensive position he realizes he's just taking too much fire and he's being outgunned Ref calls that one off, and I'm just like, dude, just Arnold Allen. I mean, I don't know why we don't talk about him more after a fine win streak, but this is the kind of performance that gets you a fight with a guy like a Max Holloway, Brian Ortega, to start talking about potential title shots. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. Great. I mean, what an impact he made. Yeah, he's one of those names... You know him, it's like, yeah, Arnold Allen, yeah. He always puts on a good fight, but no one was counting. <laughs> no one was, was was thinking about how what his win streak was. But when you finish someone like Dan Hooker and the way he did it, and at home, and you get the pop, like it, it was just electric, you know. There were a couple others that had a way bigger pop, but Arnold Allen was very impressive. He was just a full-blown offense on Dan Hooker. And... Of course, he is now ready to say, as you say, face you know someone like Brian Ortega. I like that matchup a lot, but I got to take a minute to to think about Dan Hooker, and you know it's been a tough road for him. And you know we see fighters sometimes that are climbing, 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 doing great, and then they 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 get um, matched up with a couple of really awesome fighters that results in long bloody wars and then there's just like a little bit of a decline and it's hard to climb back up so i'm a little concerned for for dan hooker as far as you know what's his future going to look like maybe a a reset a break you know the the covid new zealand thing like i think that really threw a wrench in his plans and having to sort of take any fight that he could on short notice on you know not ideal notice just because of his situation in uh in new zealand so it's a tough one for him, but back to Mr. Allen. Yeah, he's ready for Ortega. That's the one I want to see. Yeah, I think that um, it it just really depends. I know I saw the thing they're talking about trying to make a fight between Yair and Ortega, which uh, don't get me wrong, that's great television also. But I, I would hate to see Arnold Allen be the one out of the mix. He calls out Calvin Cater, who. I know by the numbers, it's a step up, but then, look, I, I'm aware of what Calvin just did to Giga Chikatsi, but then I almost feel like the Giga win, it, it, it just felt like, I just feel like Allen should get a bigger fight, and not that Calvin isn't good and all that, but I almost feel like if Max and Yair are up there, beating Calvin doesn't get you the title shot unless both of them are hurt, you know what I'm saying? Of course, yeah. And I feel like at a nine-fight win streak, it's like, I know it's about putting butts in the seats and having, you know, the right timing and the right personality at the right time sometimes. But it's like, dude, I mean, this is kind of like Leon Edwards territory right now. And I am i don't like seeing that for Leon. I feel like it should be set up for Arnold. Um, uh, They'll figure it out. I, I think... Just by process of elimination, if they are committed to Yair and Brian, then they'll go Calvin. 
Also, don't expect Max Holloway to fight absolutely anybody unless he knows for sure that he's not getting uh, Alex Volkanovsky again straight up. So Yeah. Yeah, I think there's just no other way to skin the cat. Or, you know, they could do Max Zombie if we get an upset, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. Um, so I'm watching Arnold Allen's fight, and um, I'm tr- full disclosure, I had to go take care of stuff, so I had to watch the co-main and main after the fact, but, you know, I, I made sure to get enjoy it and get the broadcast, and... As Arnold is being introduced, the fans are still chanting for our next, you know, the people's champ, our our (laughs) next fighter we're discussing, Patty Pimblett. And I was like, my word, if you had told me the broadcast was over after Patty's fight, I swear I would have still been happy. Knowing what we had with Arnold, knowing what we had with Tom... If you, if I didn't know those fights were coming and it was just going to end like that, I low-key would have told you that that's a great night of fights. We don't need any more. It was very just... Uh, I can only imagine the vibe out there in the arena. It certainly felt palpable on television. Um, Patty, look, he eats a shot. He gets, uh, you know, taken down a bit by Kazula Vargas. Um, reverses it. Uh you know, he gets a beautiful hip toss when he gets to the feet. And then from there, all systems go, gets the finish, gets the tap. But really, I mean, I think the story of the fight was just... Uh, you know, people talk about, for example, Sean O'Malley. I've never heard them go wild for Sean O'Malley like they did Patty the Batty. You know what I'm saying? I, I really feel like that was Conor McGregor in Boston the first time they put the lights out for him that was a special night and really like everyone's like oh Tom Arnold Allen blah 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 Patty Pimblett dude he he was the star of the show there's no two ways about it and it's not even close if I'm being honest no not even close at all you're right in fact um he he definitely got the most reaction from the crowd biggest strongest like it, he was the star attraction and no matter where his position on the card would have been he was the star attraction um i think after him molly mccann was the one who got the next biggest pop mm-hmm. um and not that you know people weren't you know jumping out of their seats to see arnold allen win and to see tom aspinall win but patty and molly got the big pop just coming out like it's really imp- impressive the the love they've built um for their own uh, countrymen, from their own countrymen, and like they're just great characters. You know, they're being themselves, but the the personalities shine through beyond above and beyond anybody else on that card. Um, you know, if you think about Patty Pimblett as part of just the UFC roster in general, even though he's brand new to it, it's only a second fight, right? Um, he's he's just got way more star quality than most, even even a lot of your champions. Not that that's what you need to be a champion, but it certainly helps. And yes, you you rightly mentioned Conor McGregor. Like that's that's Conor McGregor levels. You know, we're getting there as far as crowd reaction goes. Sean O'Malley, you know, he's to me he doesn't get anything close to that. Um, but I think it's just it's just a very special thing with Patty and his little wiggling around when he wins and that Scooby Doo haircut. Like the whole the whole look is just. His and his alone, and it's it's uh, beloved by the crowd, no doubt, for sure. Uh, I have a feeling he doesn't push for it, but we could get Bryce Mitchell some camo shorts, but we can't get the baddie some orange shorts. I know. <laughs> I mean, really, you know they got that color scheme somewhere in the factory. Just, you know, press the button, press the orange button, print, let's go. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, yeah, I was... it's... It's silly. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong. Red is cool too. Um, but yeah, I'm like, dude, I, we've seen, they ran his Cage Warriors footage. That's clearly his thing. But um, look, I mean, uh, I'll say this, and we've said it before, especially in a couple of these fights, he, he gets hit. You really, you, you don't, name one champion where you tell me he gets hit a lot. She gets hit a lot. You don't. So I think that's the one thing. But look, he's a young guy. He's exciting. Must watch television. If you tell me they're putting on the Columbus card on Saturday, uh, I'm tuning in. I'm making sure I don't miss it. I, I, I'm ready to see him fight next. But um, 
look, I mean, just it's a development process. I want to see this, you know, the souffle come to fruition at the right time. I'm not saying he's ready to fight, you know, Dustin Poirier next week, title eliminator. (laughs) But I'm ready to see him. And you don't say that about every, you know, 2-0 in the UFC guy. So there you go. That says everything you need to know. And we had this interesting situation. Ilya Tapuria, who knocked out Jai Herbert, by the way, in just vicious fashion. I mean, it looked like, you know, he was being tested. It looked like this one might, you know, go to the the Englishman again. But then Ilya just sets it up and that right hand just sent him to the shadow realm. That was beautiful. And then coupled with the fact that you knew Ilya had the incident with Patty, which we could definitely talk about, calls out Patty. Um, By the way, he doesn't even answer Bisping's question. He just says, I want Patty the daddy. (laughs) Great job. You know how to shoot your shot in enemy territory. Um, Patty didn't, you know, uh, poo-poo the idea. He did call out Instagram, which I think that's, uh, you know, I mean, really, he could have called for Charles Oliveira and you would have had the whole crowd be like, yes, bring him to England. Let us take it from him. (laughs) You know, I thought it was a very... um, if there was one faux pas Patty had, it was he did not just have a target ready, which I think would have really helped him. But yeah, I, I think that um, it, it kind of feels like Jorge Colby, like you can, you may, or sorry, Jorge Leon also, like you just, how do you not make this fight next? It just feels so perfect. But then you understand the UFC just has these guys on different tracks right now. I think that Ilya is a little more proven. I think that Patty, they kind of, you don't want him to run into a guy like Ilya next, even though, like I said, you could put them to fight next week and I'll tell you one thing, I'm not going to miss it. That's the kind of situation we have. What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, their their little hotel scuffle, ah, that stuff kind of annoys me sometimes, you know. I feel like Patty Pimblett did the right thing by not acknowledging Ilya in his uh, post-fight interview. Whether he might not even been thinking about him, you know. To be honest, he's looking forward to bigger and better things. And this this side scuffle story is. If I'm Patty, I'm just like, nah, I don't need it. Now, if the UFC tells me, fine, let's go. But I'm not trying to fight you, you know. So, and also to your point, yeah, you know, Ilya's. Ilya is a little bit longer than the two as far as the UFC goes. So if I'm the UFC, I want to give Patty. If I'm looking at this, I say, okay, let's give him another challenge. You know, let's move him up the ladder gradually. And if the beef with Tapuria, which, you know, probably not going away based on the way Tapuria was, was talking in the octagon. If that beef continues, then eventually we'll make our way to putting them together. But I'm the UFC. I want to give Patty. I want to keep the progression slow and steady. Let's not do a Sage North cut. Let's not do a Paige Van Zant and, you know, overhype him and set him to the moon. The guy's important, but he's still, as you pointed out at the beginning, he still gets hit. He's still, uh, you know, got some wrinkles to smooth out. So I think we take our time with Mr. Pimblet. Yeah, all right. That's very fair. Like I said, they'll find somebody, but I'm not sure about who's next. By the way, good call to, to say, hey, look, you know, like, I don't mind fighting those guys, but I want to, uh, you know, he kind of took the Sean O'Malley approach. He said he wants more money. Um, I don't know if Sean got more money off the top of my head, but I'll tell you this. Patty Pimblett better get more money. I'm sorry, but that, that what that guy has done in the short amount of time, I mean, contract renegotiated yesterday, personally. Yeah. Um, I think every friend needs a best friend like Molly McCann. I gotta say, <laughs> that was beautiful in the octagon after Patty won. You would have thought there was some... Te- I-, I thought that was beautiful. I thought that was great. I think that you saw genuine excitement and just everyone deserves a friend like that. You know, I thought that was beautiful to watch. Molly, I mean, this was approaching Shevchenko versus Jessica I levels of savagery with that spinning elbow knockout. 
a tough fight. Molly's always in these just slugfests, but, you know, she had to dig a little deeper um, to get her victory. You know, it looked like it might be coming down to the wire and she would have had to, she had to hold on to it in that third round and then, you know, sees the opening, makes the turn and bang, spinning elbow, goes out, Molly gets the big win at home. Holy guacamole, what was your reaction? Yeah, I get me holy guacamole, man. It's right. A holy, uh, what do they eat in England? Holy, uh, everything. I don't have anything funny at the top of my head. Yeah, but anyway, no, <laughs> anyway, it was good. Anyway, it was amazing. First round, she comes out firing. I mean, the way she was hitting Carolina's body, it was just like she was in boxing class, you know, working the, working the heavy bag, and they, and they tell you, you know, you know, go fast for twenty seconds. It was just like bum 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 bum. She was pumped up, just ready to go. You know, she hit her a couple of good shots, man, with that right hand. And she wisely brought her adrenaline back down because seeing that her opponent wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. Round two, Carolina was able to get, you know, her mojo going a little bit, but not so much. Round three, Carolina comes out um, and she's like, let's go, baby. Like, what you got? I was really surprised and impressed by that. And she's got her knees going, you know, the Muay Thai stuff. I love the moment before the knockout, especially in the slow motion. You can see Molly clearly. You see her eyes look up, and she sees the opportunity. There's the window. She moves to the right, and ba-bam. I really don't think she thought it was going to knock her out cold the way it did. I think she was just looking for a good shot, you know, a, a good spinning elbow. But, man, it knocked her out. Her eyes went boom all the way, all the way to the left. I don't think they showed it on the broadcast, um, you know, how she looked when she got up, but she certainly wasn't there for the uh, Bruce Buffer call at the end. Oh, amazing moment for Molly, dude. She jumps off the cage, grabs a, a, someone's UFC belt, gives Dana White a hug before <laughs> that. Like, you know, these are the things that you see in Disney movies. Uh, you know, the, the, it's just, you can't write it. And it was so, so awesome for her. Then, of course, as you mentioned, the Patty Pimlet thing, she comes out and she's jumping the cage like, they're just like, you know, brother and sister that are just trying to run the world and they're having a blast doing it. It's just fun to see, man. She got to have an encore. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, it's like she got it. That's about as close as you can get as to celebrating in the octagon twice. Yeah, and it is. it's it is just as good the first time. I mean, well done. Um, real quick, Paul Craig. Oh man, that dude just the brave heart entrance or not entrance but weigh in and all that and you know he's getting touched up by a vet in Nikita Krilov and then he gets another freaking rally from the behind submission with the triangle. And you know, like we've seen him handle business at Ankalaev. I believe that was the buzzer beater where he got it at the last second. Um, then Jamal Hill, who obviously we've been talking about, and it's like, dude, you know, this guy, I believe, 34 years old, just racking up wins, and you feel like if he's going to make a run, the time is now, and he's getting a victory like that. I just thought it was very impressive. Just um, like I said, he, I, one of those, you could have argued that another ref would have stopped it. Certainly, we've seen crazier things, but holds on, gets the submission, just really great win. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was great. Exciting. Those moments where it's a come from behind, like makes me think of Derek Lewis versus Volkov. Like those are so crazy. And again, in that crowd, like yeah, it's just a, a great moment for him. And as soon as he threw his leg around, you could hear the announcers there, like, "Oh no!" because they knew exactly what was coming. And it wasn't too long after that that uh, Krylov had to tap. So good on Paul Craig. Yeah, I mean, nine bonuses, nine finishes. Um, I think that was a great move. Uh, I don't know if they're going to do it every single time. I think uh, I don't need to cite, um, you know, various comments that have been made about how that isn't a normal thing. But on a night like, you know, yesterday, that was all warranted and special. So I'm glad everyone kind of got their recognition for it. Um... It was a slow week, you know, Dana said, you know, uh, send them to voicemail, tell them I'll check their email when I get back, but we're not going to be doing any announcing. Um, and yet we still had a couple. 
<laughs> so pretty much um the biggest one, Rose Namajunas versus Carla Esparza 2. Looks like that is in the works. Uh, most everybody expects it to be finalized, you know. So I, I'm not expecting a curveball. But the fact is, it's going to be on the UFC 274 May 7th card. So actually not coming up, not too far from now. Um, Esparza, fight fight win streak, beating Marina Rodriguez, beating Jan Shannon, beating Michelle Watterson. You have Rose, she's obviously coming off the wins over Zhang Wei Li last year. She got the win back against Jessica Andrade in 2020. Um, so she's just doing well. I think that this one, easy storyline, you know, obviously they fought in the finale of the Ultimate Fighter to be the inaugural strawweight champ. Carla Esparza just had more experience and I think was a little more, I, I think, yeah, just experience and age really contributed to Carla's victory. Uh, I mean, I want to say it's like six years ago now. Um, Rose Namajunas, though, I mean, when she's on, she looks like one of the best talents across any of the weight classes, men included. So I think that this is just a great fight at this time. You know, Carla, certainly there were times where it felt like she wasn't going to get back to this spot. Um, and then now, you know, this just beautiful symmetry. It's like, dude, it's perfect. Remember their co-main to Oliver and Gaethje. Remember they just announced Tony Ferguson, Michael Chandler for the card. So I think that it really completes a beautiful, you know, three-pack there at the top. Plus, Trevor Whitman, you know, working a double shift again. <laughs> at least it's just a double shift and not triple overtime. So, oh, yeah. you know, I, I think he said he, he doesn't want to do that again unless they absolutely have to. Yeah, I, I think that's a wise move. Yeah, uh, yeah this is great for, for two reasons as I look at it. One, you mentioned Esparza's trajectory in the UFC, like, you know, she won the championship, but when she lost it in her next fight to Ioanni and Jacek, and the way she lost it, it, it was just like, okay, you know, there's clearly levels to this game. Jan Jacek was at the tippity-tippity top, and Carla Sparza didn't look like she was ever going to be close to getting back to this position. But she busted her butt, you know, continued to work on her wrestling and developed her striking, her ring intelligence, She's also one of the most of all UFC fighters that I've seen that's just the most composed, cool, calm, and collected before a fight, in the middle of a fight, you know, in the corner getting her, her coach's um, feedback. Like, she's just got the, a blank face, and it, it's, not, it's not emotionless. I say blank, but it's not emotionless. She's just focusing, man. She's so focused. In any case, I'm really impressed and proud to see how far she's come, how much she's improved, and she's had really awesome wins, especially the one over Yan Jonan. And I think about her and Nami Yunus, and like, I can't think of another pair where you look at their first fight together and what's going to be their rematch, and look at how much both fighters have evolved completely. Like, they're not even close to being the same fighters they were. And maybe it's because, you know, women's MMA was still starting to ramp up even though ronda rousey and jan jacek were, were at the top but for everybody else they still were still a big learning curve and now they're peak right as far as the that's 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 the the, the those are some of the best examples of weili zhang uh valentina shevchenko like these are the top of the of the weight classes for female mma so it's just really thrilling like this is one of those where it does almost no good to go back and watch the first fight as far as a, using it as a predictor for this fight, right? Like you have to just watch their more recent fights because the other ones, the original one was so long ago and they are so different. I'm a big fan of both of these fighters and uh, it, it makes me nervous in a good way because I want them both. Every time I see them fight, I want them both to win and now they're facing each other. So, No, for sure. Like I said, I think that it's just a great, um, great setup. And then when you consider the division like uh, okay i'll tell you once again i mean five fight win streak arnold allen nine fight win streak yeah. and i know it's a different division there's different people at the top but come on now um but i think this is perfect because i think that for carla i mean for everybody for marina all right you know marina's most likely next then they want to you know they're still talking about joanna and jong Wei lee um this is perfect 
that also gives time, you know, Mackenzie Dern, Tish Torres coming up, um, someone like Amanda Hibas coming back up. All of it just kind of flows in this perfect direction. And I think it sets up for one, you get the deserving fight out of the way. And then two, it gives us time to set up all of these other matchups to really line up the division in a good way. I just think the schedule is going to play out really well here. So that's what I like about it. And then the fight itself, we'll get into the X's and O's, but you've hit it on the head. They're not the same fighters they were before. Our next, uh, you know, next story of the day, uh, you know, straight from the streets of Gotham. I mean, Houston. Kevin Holland goes out there and he's stopping crime again. And this time with the assistance of his friend, um, I guess this gunman uh, opened fire in a restaurant they were at. Uh, I'm a little muddy on the details. I know he explained it, but essentially he and his friend kind of served to, you know, as this man was not shooting, just essentially get a hold of him and, you know, separate him from the weapon and hold him down and Kevin talks about getting the rear naked choke to keep him there and essentially keep everybody safe but you know one I'm sorry but they really got to do something about the crime in Houston because <laughs> last October you know it's like how do you just happen to be around when a car gets robbed you know I mean like how bad can your luck be <laughs> but um I mean it wasn't his car vehicle obviously but you know <laughs> Dude, but yeah, I, I was just, um, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to say anymore. I'm just going to give my slow clap right here. <laughs> Mr. Holland, thank you for being just, uh, you know what? Just a good dude. Congrats. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a great citizen, right? He's helping his, his fellow man. It's a little bit risky, a lot of it risky. Uh, glad that both times no one got hurt, himself included, in his attempt to subdue or catch a bad guy. Because uh, I just think about the one with the gun, you know, like you, you grab him the wrong way and he's still holding on to the gun. I mean, so many things could have gone wrong, but glad they didn't. And, gee, geez, what kind of mindset do you have to have, right? Because think about how, at least I can say, how I would react if I saw a crime happen right in front of me. I'm either running or ducking. You know, to have the mindset to run towards it, that's very special. Not everyone has that. Most people don't. Even fighters. You know, this is like, you know, soldier mentality. And so, yeah, slow clap, uh, all the speed claps, fast, slow, in between. For Mr. Kevin Holland, I feel compelled. Maybe it's the mom and me to say, I'm glad nobody got hurt. Maybe next time. You know, call the police instead. I mean, maybe they did that too. We don't know, but well, um, I'm sure they did. I'm I'll sure say that. I mean, before acting, but look, if somebody saved my life by jumping in the line of fire, I wouldn't be criticizing. So. Exactly. I think it's like, was that the smartest idea? No, but man, am I glad he was there. Exactly. You know, I'll leave it at that. Um, the next one, a UFC going back to Abu Dhabi. So I know the time change literally just happened a week ago today here in the United States, but UFC 281, it's looking, it's official for October 28th. And this is their first trip back to Abu Dhabi since last October. So, um, you know, almost exactly a year. There's no word yet on whether it's going to be a pay-per-view or it's going to be on free TV. Remember, they did the whole thing last year and the Abu Dhabi numbered event ended up being free television. Even though, let's be honest, you could have put that 80 bucks price tag on it. Um, that being said, uh, look, they haven't announced fights. It's certainly way too far away for any of that. Are you surprised with the approach that they've taken to Abu Dhabi. Because even last year, there was two appearances. They did a week there with the pay-per-view, and then they did, um, obviously, uh, the second event in October that I just referenced. But, you know, we can kind of got hyped about talking about Fight Island and this and that. And I'm not going to lie, Natalie. I know you can't sell the Mystique the second and third time around the same way, but... You just hear Dana White talk about Abu Dhabi so well, and then it just seems like for them to be so removed, but we have like five fights in Texas, 
nothing against Texas. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm just a little surprised we don't go back more often. You know, I, I, I do agree with you in one, in one sense that, you know, the hype of Fight Island was was really exciting. And it was something that we needed when everything else got shut down in the whole world. And there was this, like, oasis, you know, this destination where we could go and enjoy our fights. And, and it just felt like an MMA sanctuary. But I think if I'm the UFC, now that everything's opening up and completely opened up in, in a lot of places like Texas, Florida, I want to rebuild in the U.S. I want to get back to how we were before pandemic, pre-pandemic. And so my guess is that that's what they're trying to do. They're just trying to get all their ducks in a row back here in the U.S., a little bit of Europe. I mean, we just had that in London. And I'm sure they're having conversations with Abu Dhabi all the time. We still love you. We're still grateful you saved our skin, you know. But I really think it's like we just want to get the train rolling full steam back in the U.S. That's fair. I think that that's really what it is. It's got to be revenue in them. Uh, to my knowledge, April is back at the UFC Apex. So even though obviously we just went to London, they're going to Ohio, they're going to go to Florida. These um, three consecutive, well, not three consecutive, they have a week off and then there's no event between Ohio and Florida. But the fact is, it's going to be about a month before they get back to the Apex. I'm not sure what's going on for May. I do believe there's a good chance that the May events, the May fight nights, get sent a couple different places. But that is certainly going to be, you know, wait to be seen. And I think, you know, not to make this that show again, obviously, but obviously more and more places lifting mandates, dropping mandates, however you want to say them. Um, I think that the things are going in a direction where you could see it you know being really well that being said obviously you know every place just because all the doors are open doesn't mean people are comfortable saying yeah we're gonna go from zero to full capacity and you know look no one wants to be responsible if things go wrong right so i think that that's really just the only thing stopping a full return all at once is the fact that they just are a little hesitant to go zero to a hundred, even though technically the rules say you can now go zero to a hundred in a lot more places. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, certainly. I mean, when you hear about the UFC, just, uh, taking a different approach, it's really cool. Um, just, uh, after everything, you know, we just, uh, <clears throat> We celebrated 50 events at the UFC Apex. <laughs> you know, it's like a milestone. And I'm like, I don't know if this is something we should be celebrating. Like, I'm glad we were able to make something happen. But I think the sign that it has lasted this long puts a little bit of a damper on the festivity, if that makes sense. Yeah, it just reminds you of like, oh, why were there 50? Oh, yeah, because the world was shut down. But, yeah. okay. <laughs> you know, but we did put 50 here. of them. <laughs> yeah. No, but um, by the way, they don't count the fact there were a bunch of pay-per-views and contender series, but yeah. Anyway, back to the reality. <laughs> look, I mean, it's going to be interesting. Um, I hope everyone gets a fight night. I mean, look, if we're going in, let's go. Let's do it. I think that Everyone will react differently to seeing everything back. I'm sure there's going to be times where they're like, ah, oh, we're just going to set up a fight night at the Apex. That way we could just stay home and maybe it'll be like near a pay-per-view that's going to be in Vegas. So they're like, look, we don't got to worry about, oh, let's travel and come home. No, we just can do all our stuff from here and, you know, it just kind of flows better now. So that's what I'm thinking is going to happen for sure. That makes sense. We got two fight nights to break down. Um, obviously, like I just uh, referenced, UFC Columbus, the heavyweight bout between Curtis Blades and Chris Dawkins. Uh, Blades, obviously, he's coming off that victory over Jorginho Rosenstrike last September. Or wait, September or December? I believe it was September. Well, let's see. It should be September. Anyway, while we find that, taking on Chris Dawkins, who obviously had his. Uh, there we go. He had his win streak snapped by Mr. Derek Lewis in December, and 
not for nothing, I think you'll remember, this was supposed to be Jan Blahovich versus Alexander Rokic. Not too short notice, but the fact is they really put this one together as a replacement. And I think my big thing about it is obviously this is kind of like a second chance for Chris Dawkins. I mean, you beat Derek Lewis, you would have fast-tracked your career. You beat Curtis Blades, even though you just got stopped by Chris by Derek Lewis, you get to fast-track your career. And then if you're Curtis Blades, you're talking about a guy with his wrestling, with his size, with his physicality, with his striking. You're talking about a guy who on any given night provides so many different problems for that heavyweight division. And yet he's the one with, I would say, the high-risk, low-reward matchup right now. I mean, he wins. Let's say it like it is. You're in that conversation for Stipe, Ty, Cyril. You lose... Chris Dawkins is the one in those talks and you take a step back. And when you talk about a time where, you know, you're talking about maybe an interim title, maybe, you know, maybe John Jones isn't available after all to take a step back here. If you're Curtis Blades would just be a rough one. So definitely not a ordinary fight night. There's always something on the line, but particularly more so for Curtis and certainly a big opportunity for Chris. And then you have the fact that we they actually got throw down. And I'll toss it to you there. What are your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, you know, Curtis Blaze is one of those fighters. I think I say this every time he fights. He can certainly knock you out and can have exciting moments. But sometimes it's just a little too wrestle-heavy for my taste. So, you know, am I a real MMA fan? I think so. But I'm just not a huge fan of the wrestle-heavy style. But whatever. Um just looking at the at the uh, records of both of these guys, you know, Chris Dawkins is a finisher. If you look at it, that's the first thing that jumps out at you. He's finished, like, at least his last five or six fights. Curtis Blades is, like, half and half. Half decision, half, um, you know, finishing round three, round two. And even his last win against Rosenstrike is a decision, unanimous decision. So it makes me think... First, I agree with what you're saying. There's more to lose here for Curtis Blades. He's the bigger name. He's been trying to make it to that title shot for a lot longer. Um, and if he wins, even if he gets a, a knockout, I just feel like because of who he is, he's not going to be as likely to get into that conversation we were just having at the start of this episode as someone like Chris Dawkins would, just Dawkins would, because if I'm the UFC, I'm thinking, like, okay, you knocked him out, but sometimes your fights are really boring. And Chris Dawkins is a finisher. So it's like Curtis Blades is a little bit in a damned if you do, damned if you don't position. Um, all that being said, I'm going to go ahead and just make my, my prediction here. Um, I think he's going to use his wrestling. And I think he's actually, I think it's going to be another unanimous decision. I think he's just going to smother and you know he'll land some good punches it's gonna it's a heavyweight fight so there's gonna be some bombs thrown here and there but i think he's just gonna do the smother hold push press and he's gonna win a unanimous decision i actually think a little differently i think he has more weapons that he can use and i think that um with respect to chris i don't know if chris has the firepower he needs to slow that speed and athleticism of Curtis. Remember, this is a guy who did stop Alistair Overeem. I believe he did stop Junior Dos Santos. And uh, look, not all of them. I'm aware there's some of those Curtis Blades fights that don't, you know, and blow the roof off the plate. It's like your Paddy Pimblet. But the fact is, he does have a lot of weapons that he goes in there with. He knows how to put it all together. And like I said, it's really about the firepower um, for the former uh, police officer. It, look, you can't call back up in the cage. You got to go out there. But, uh, you know, I suggest you don't you don't just carry the pistol into the octagon. You're going to want to bring that big shotgun that you always see them have in the middle of the seat on TV and movies. Make sure you bring that one to the cage. And I think it's going to be speed and footwork for Chris. That being said, I think that physicality for Curtis Blades, I think that he's got a lot of ways to win, and I think he's just going to put them together for a... He's going to get the finish. I think that it's going to be a TKO. I think he catches Dawkus 
I think he finds Dawkins maybe hesitating a bit because he's anticipating the takedown, but then he, Curtis comes over the top with something, and that's the beginning of the end. Second round. Curtis Dawkins. No, Chaos Curtis like... Blades. No, oh, Curtis, Curtis Blades. Blades. Curtis okay. Blades on Dawkins. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he's done it before. I, I like it. Sometimes he, yeah, he really gets, swings that big long arm all the way around, overhand or something. I could see that for sure. Yep. That's right. uh, that's my call. Usually that'd be the end of the show because it's a, <laughs> what's bigger than the UFC, but not this week, ladies and gentlemen. We have the anniversary 1X from one championship. And we could talk a lot about things like uh, Danielle Kelly, Jiu-Jitsu Phenom, getting into the, you know, the circle, as they say. We have the flyweight champion, you know, Adriano Moraes taking on top contender Yuya Wakamatsu. We can certainly talk about Demetrius Johnson. Can he survive the assault of Rod Tang before the rounds change the rules and he gets to go to the ground? We could talk about a lot of those things. And I mean, that could be a whole other uh, podcast. But the honor goes to the women. The return of flyweight queen, um, sorry, atomweight queen Angela Lee taking on Grand Prix winner Stamp Fairtex. Um, Natalie, we don't do many one championship predictions, so I'm actually very excited to see what approach you took to breaking this one down. So I'm going to toss it to you. Thank you. Yeah, we don't. And, uh, look, first of all, Stamp Fairtex, that's just a cool ass name. Isn't it? (laughs) That's my first comment. I mean, like, there's just, it's, it's just cool, man. I don't know. I don't have a funny joke for you know what my equivalent name would be. Envelope, something. I don't know. But Stan Fairtex is cool. We'll move on. Angela Lee is uh, a killer, right? Like she's got the amazing ground game, and you know I'm just I'm just looking back at some of her fights. She's got fast hands. She has power. She's super aggressive. This is a gritty, determined fighter. And Stan Fairtex has the, the stand-up also to give Angela a run for her money. Ah, man. It's a tricky one, but and, and not just because she's one of the biggest names at one. But for me, I, I look at this and I think, like, Angela Lee isn't going to lose. She's one of those fighters, like, like you know, I was talking about Carla Sparza. It's not that she, she doesn't react in the cage the same way that Carla Sparza does, but it's like Carlos Barza, you can have her in a submission. She's not going to tap. And when she comes out of that submission unscathed, if she does, the face unchanged. Angelie is one of those really, really tough fighters like uh, Carlos Barza, like even Ronda Rousey, you know, a couple of pickles that she got herself in, Misha Tate. And I think she's just going to, she's too well rounded. She's become a really, really complete MMA fighter. I think she's just going to have an answer for everything and the advantages, of course, that she has on the ground, too. So for me, I think we're going to have a little bit of a war. Uh, Now, uh, before I put my foot in my mouth, is this a five-round fight? Yes. Okay, so I was going to say four, so I'm glad I asked. Um, I think it's going to be a fourth-round submission win, but there's going to be a little bit of a war before that. I agree. I think when I break them down, I mean, I think that uh, if you only saw her in the Grand Prix, I think people forget that stamp one championships uh, you know not at you know in one championship but she won kickboxing and muay thai belts in one before making the move to uh mma i mean she got she has submission victories uh, i'm not gonna lie for someone who you'd say oh you know young girl striking background she's sick on the mat mm-hmm. she's very good um i think that it's just a matter of that's the opportunity she got was to show off her striking first. Um, and then you talk about Angela Lee. Uh, we know what she brings in terms of that tenacity, that heart, that resiliency, her skills on the ground. I think that when I've seen the two um, fight, I be- I know Angela's a little taller. I think that she also walks in, um, you know, more muscle definition. I think that just as an athlete, she just is going to be a little bit stronger than stamp especially in those positions like the clinch and everything else the big x factor angela obviously hasn't fought since 2019 
things like the pandemic and then starting her family all kind of have pushed her back a little bit. And she did say, literally, you know, I'm not rushing to come back. I'm not looking to make this quick return after delivering my my daughter. I am out here to, um, you know, training to make sure I am actually back at 100% before I take a fight against one of these tough girls. And I think for one championship, not for nothing, these are, uh, a lot of them are, but really, talk about homegrown stars. Stamp, all her MMA fights have been won. Angela, all her MMA fights have been won. Um, you know, and a couple of girls in the Grand Prix recently. But I think that really you have this now, two young girls, two amazing talents, just certainly a lot of miles left in the fight game for both of them. I think there's just a lot on the line. I think it's just, um, I don't want to say like the former queen versus heir apparent. You know, Angela has, was never stripped of her title. Angela has remained the champion. But certainly you're talking about a breath of fresh air against the girl who's been gone a minute. And I mm-hmm. think that that makes for an interesting angle going into this one. The actual fight itself, I think you hit it on the head. Uh, both of them are well-rounded. I think that Stamp in a striking battle provides a lot of problems for Angela. Angela on the feet, I, I'm not saying at mid-range she's going to have this beautiful striking attack compared to Stamp from what I've seen. That being said, her ability to, you know, um, what was I just talking about? Tom Aspinall on Volkov, just get in there a little bit and just get after it. I think that that's going to be the key. I think that, um, one, to really kind of stifle the striking attack. And then two, I think that her proficiency as a grappler... I know Stamp did work, for example, in the final against Ritu and got the, you know, just great work off of her back when Ritu was going for the takedowns. I think that Angela is just a level above Ritu Fogat. And I think that if I mispronounce that name, I'm sorry. I'm not used to saying it out loud a lot. (laughs) But the fact is, um, I think that Angela's proficiency as a grappler really is her bread and butter. I think that her confidence in her striking comes from the fact that if you take her down or if you get there, uh, grappling is what she does. So I think that that's really going to be the key. I think that the physicality and the top game is really going to be enough for Angela. It's going to carry her to the victory in this one. Not going to be easy. Going to have to be on her P's and Q's. But the fact is that's how she gets it done. Um, I'm going Angela Lee. I think it's going to be another tough five-rounder, but unanimous decision. Okay, I like it. There we go. Anyway, did, what was your call again? What round? Round four submission by Angela Lee. Round four, right, 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 right. right. Anyway, yeah, so there we are. So I, I'm looking forward to recapping all of it. Have you seen how they're breaking it down? It's like, because it's so big and long and because they're trying to hype it up, it's like half of it is on like YouTube Half of it is on like onechampionship.com, something like that. Then they're going to have an actual pay-per-view portion for the oh the good stuff. And I'm like, dude, I mean, is this only for people who don't work that day? Dang. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, dude, you know, it's like, um, only asked for the morning shift off. <laughs> Can we, uh, you know, but look, also... I acknowledge the fact that one championship hours work differently than U.S. hours. So most likely, even if it runs long, if my math is correct, Angela and Stamp are going to fight around lunchtime anyway. So it's going to be one of those nights. (laughs) It's like the freaking 12-hour WrestleMania. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but do people actually sit for all that? You know, when Ronda Rousey was doing it that last time, I was like, Oh my goodness. When is this going to end? It just goes on. It's like, are you supposed to watch in shifts? Like this, you let someone watch for two hours and they give you a recap and you watch for two hours and you give the next person a recap. Like, why are they doing this? It's like, dude, like start it, leave, go shopping, go get your workout in, come back again. It's still going. It's like, dude. And then the worst thing is, at least with the WWE app or, you know, their subscription, yeah. you can't go back the next day and just watch it. Like whenever you can't just, even though you're paying subscription, you can't just go click on and say, I want to watch, uh, you know, WrestleMania again. Oh. They have it on a schedule. So you still have to wait until they re-air it on their website. It's the worst. That is cruel. It's just cruel. Yeah, it's cruel. 
do you think that the people who work for like do you think the wwe camera people actually work 12 straight hours or do you think they split it up Dude, that's a great question that's like you know those like surgeries where they're trying to separate Siamese students <laughs> and it's like a you know the surgeons tag out, yeah, they tag out. I don't know. <laughs> no i think well i mean that's why they get paid a lot if you're separating twins you, yeah. you're there for the long haul but you get my drift it's like it's i'm not two shifts it's gotta be two shifts i'm 90 i think that some people get tagged out i think that they find a way to relieve guys and girls for a while like they have the A squad and B squad, and I think at some point B squad handles it before A squad comes back. I think that just because by the certain point they just have a flow and they're like, look, just we're not going to push people 12 hours, but we do have to keep going. Like even UFC, like, okay, they started at what, 10 a.m. yesterday, ended at yeah. about 4. That's, you know, 6 something now. I mean, come on, they got to tag out at some point, but. Yeah, labor laws, right? You're supposed to at least get a break. Like, especially it must be unionized, you know, at least in the states. Like, you must be required to give uh, some kind of break, a lunch break, also. So, yeah, there must be some tagging out. We just don't realize it. There you go. Hey, imagine the comment. Well, I feel like they would split off commentators. It's like, oh, on the prelims we have, blah blah blah, blah blah blah. Oh, hey, thank you for joining us. Blah blah blah. Yeah, thank you. And then by the time they go back to the desk, they just don't acknowledge the fact that it's new people. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but um, oh, we'll discuss all that on another day. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Once again, this has been MMA Daily. We'll be back next week, recapping the fights, talking news. Not for nothing, Natalie. Next, uh, the following week, no major MMA. We are officially on spring break, and then we'll come back with um, Volkanovski versus Zombie. I believe two seventy-three, if I'm not mistaken, on the number. So, good stuff there. We'll talk all about it. Until then, have a good one.